If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. For those of you unfamiliar with uh, the Bible there, it's the last book in the Bible. And so it should be easy to find. Revelation chapter 21. Beginning in verse number 5, hear the word of God. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I want to focus on those six words that might be the most powerful words in all of the Bible. I am making all things new. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would experience that newness that is available to us because of your resurrection, the resurrection of your son, Jesus. And so we offer this time to you. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. We live in what we might call the upgrade generation, the upgrade generation. We are a society that's fixated on that which is new. There's something about getting new stuff that strikes a nerve in our culture, strikes a nerve in our society. This is why many of us like Easter. We feel this collective permission to buy new stuff, to buy a new suit. New shoes and a new dress and a new hat, and we love new stuff. But the dark side of this desire for new things is that the new stuff uh, tends to uh, mean that we prematurely discard the old stuff, which is not even old anyway. And this happens in our culture where many things become obsolete very quickly. You buy one phone, and one year later, your new phone feels old. And a new version has come out, and you got to get a new phone. And then the new phone comes out, and that which is not even old begins to seem a very old. And our, in our fixation for new things, we tend to do away with old things. I vividly remember the first car that I purchased. I was a 20-year-old, and I saved my money. I saved about $6,000, and I was going away for college. And I needed to buy a car, and so I searched online, searched and searched and searched, and found the car that I fell in love with. It was a 1995 Nissan Altima. And when I bought the car, the car had 95,000 miles on it. Had a scrape on the side. This was the best I could do. And so I, I paid for the car, paid in cash. The car was mine. I was very happy for the first few weeks. I drove in East New York with the windows down, blasting music. I put armor all on the tires as I was, you know, before I drove off. I had a Puerto Rican boxing glove that hung off the <laughs> rear view mirror just right there. 
I got it going on. I had it going on. This was my car. I was content with my car until a friend invited me and said, hey, I'm going on a trip here. Would you like to run some errands? We're going in my father's car. I got in the father's car, and his father had a 2000 Jaguar. And I remember the day vividly. I remember it vividly. I sat inside the Jaguar and immediately my new car did not feel new at all. I sat down and he had this soft leather interior. I got back in my car. I had this soda stained fabric. When, he, when I got into the car and closed the door, the, the lights slowly dimmed off. When I closed my Ultima, the lights just shut off. When I drove in the Jaguar, it felt like I was in park. I couldn't feel the bumps. When I got back in the Ultima, I felt everything, thinking my car was going to fall apart at this next New York City pothole. And when I got home, I said, I need a new car. I got to get something new. There's something inside of us that longs for newness. We all like to get something new, and we all want something new. Some of us want new cars, we want new homes, we want new jobs, we want new husbands. I mean, we, I mean the list... It's long, the new things that we want. But ultimately, all of us are longing for a new life. Whether you know it or not, we long, all of us long for a new life. And so we have to understand what does it mean to be new? How does God define newness? Because God defines newness different than the way the world defines newness. The world has a particular way of understanding what it means to be new. Jesus has another way. Easter has a whole different way. And this is what we're going to see in our text today, where Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Easter is the greatest weekend, Good Friday and Easter, the greatest weekend in human history. It marks really our time that we mark the year that we are in based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, the world was changed because of this significant event, this resurrection. And not only did Jesus come back from the dead because he is alive, his resurrection points to the reality that everything at one day is going to be coming back to life. Jesus is very much alive and active and present in our world today. And this is what we see in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is perhaps the most misunderstood book in the Bible, and part of the confusion stems from the way we approach it. Most people look at the book of Revelation as the handbook to connect the dots and how the world is going to come to a nasty and bloody end. But really, Revelation is not about how and when the world is going to end. When most people read it, they're looking for clues about how the world is going to end. Who's the Antichrist and the mark of the beast? And we we become so paranoid as we're reading the Bible, paranoid as we're looking at the news. We tend to be so extreme and so superstitious as we think about the book of Revelation. And I get it. I totally understand. 
When I was 18 years old, I turned 18 and I went with some friends. I was on my way to go to a club. And so I, bought my, uh, I borrowed my mother's car, her little blue station wagon, because I had to pick some friends up at Long Island on Roosevelt Field Mall. And when I get to Roosevelt Field Mall in my little blue station wagon, my mother's blue station wagon, I drove by this one building that to this day when I see it, I go, ooh, what is that? The building is on Old Country Road, and the address of it is 666 Old Country Road. And when I saw that, listen, I wasn't a Bible scholar. I never read the Bible before, but I heard in the Bible something about 666. This could not be a good thing, me driving in front of a building, 666. And I thought, man, I just got uneasy that night. Later that night, I would get into a pretty bad car accident, messing up my mother's car. And, and for a number of years, I thought the reason I was in that car accident, not because I was going 90 miles an hour in the rain, but because I drove past that building six, six, six. That's what you call superstition. And superstition is typically how we approach the Bible many times. We read it superstitiously, but that's not how you are to read the book of Revelation. Instead of the book of Revelation being the book to predict how it's all going to end, the book of Revelation is called apocalyptic literature. That is to say that it is an unveiling of what's happening behind the scenes. Revelation is about what's happening. We tend to see with our own eyes what's happening in the world. Revelation, the book of Revelation, is, is unveiling what's happening behind the curtain, behind the scenes. How is God active and alive even when we cannot see him? This is what the book of Revelation is all about. And so Revelation begins with these powerful words from the resurrected Jesus where he says in chapter 1, verse 17, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus begins in the book of Revelation to say, in my resurrection, death has died. And I hold the keys of death, and I hold the keys of Hades. Revelation begins with this beautiful picture of hope. And not only does it begin with a beautiful picture of hope, the book of Revelation ends with a beautiful picture of hope. And this is what we see in this remarkable chapter, chapter 21. Chapter 21 points to the beautiful reality that because Christ is risen from the dead, a new world is possible. And because he's risen from the dead, a new world is coming. And so Jesus says, I am making all things new. Now, to really grasp the power of those six words, we have to first off understand what Jesus is not saying when he says that. When Jesus says, I am making all things new, first of all, Jesus is not saying, I am making all new things. He's not saying, I am making all new things. Now, theoretically, can God make new things? Of course God can make new things. But in this context, it's important to see that that's not what's happening that God is not making new things. He's making all things new. There's a massive difference. 
To say that God makes all new things is basically to say that God is starting over, that he created creation and and he made some things and those things had a mind of its own. Those things went in a different direction and so God had to start all over. And on the surface, this might seem okay. But when you look deeper, we begin to see this is not the way of the resurrection. This is not the way of Easter. God doesn't give up on stuff that has been rebellious or went its own way and start new. God stays, he's steadfast to stay with the stuff that he's created, the dead stuff that he's created, until these things come back to life, until these things are made new. God doesn't give up on you. God doesn't give up on me. You are never obsolete to God. God, he he doesn't make all new things. He makes all things new. And this is what Easter is all about. I love what one pastor said, Brian Zand. He said, God's solution for a creation marred by sin and death is not to abandon it, evacuate it, condemn it, or destroy it, but to remake it, to make it new again. This is what was inaugurated on Easter. When Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, it wasn't a different Jesus, God didn't create a new Jesus to replace the old Jesus. Easter's not about God making all new things. He took the same Jesus with the same wounds and the same uh, spear wound on his side. He resurrected that Jesus, the same Jesus, because God doesn't make all new things. God makes all things new. And this is good news for us because no matter how marred you are by sin, no matter how bad things get in your life, God will never abandon you. He will keep pursuing you. And the resurrection is God's way of saying, I will never stop loving the world. I will never stop you. There's nothing you can do to keep you from my love. That's what the resurrection does in short. I'm going to keep coming after you with my love. You can never stop me from loving One of the best stories in the Bible that speaks of God's commitment to his people is found in the Old Testament in this book called Jeremiah. God tells Jeremiah, this prophet, to go to the potter's house to get a picture of how God relates to his people. And so the metaphor is very encouraging. God is the potter. The clay is the people of God. And in the story, the potter is having a hard time with the clay. The clay doesn't take the shape that the potter wants it to. The clay had a mind of its own. But the beauty of the passage is that even though the clay was marred, the potter kept working. Even though uh, the potter was not deterred by the marred clay. And even more encouraging was this. Even when the clay refused to do what the potter wanted it to do, the potter didn't say, later for this clay and throw it in the garbage. I'm going to Home Depot and getting some better clay. He did not do that. He worked with the same clay until that clay took the form that he had envisioned. God, in his mercy, does not discard the clay. He works with the clay. He's faithful to the clay. He's patient with the clay. And even when the clay does not cooperate, God sticks with it. And we are the clay. With our own minds and our own wills and our own ways. And God says, regardless of whether you take form or not, I will not discard you. I will be faithful to you. I will be patient for you. I will be with you even when you don't want to be with me. God doesn't make all new things. God makes all things new. 
And maybe you've relapsed into some form of addiction. Maybe you've wandered astray. Maybe you've made a mess with your life. The resurrection reminds us that God is committed to you. God is committed to our world. And so Jesus doesn't say, I am making all new things. He says, I am making all things new. And in those six simple words, we have perhaps the most powerful sentence in all the Bible. And allow me to just unpack it for the rest of our time. Jesus says, I am making all things new. The first two words are really important. He first says, I am, I am. And with those two words, we see that God is the source of newness. God is the source of newness. Easter reminds us that the only person capable of bringing newness to us is God. You can't make yourself new. Your boyfriend can't make you new. A new job can't make you new. God knows our politicians cannot make all things new. Only Jesus Christ can make all things new. And so he begins by saying, I am. I am what? I am the source of newness. And some of you, God is, the invitation is, if you want to experience newness, come to God. Come to the resurrected one. Come to the one who is the source of all of our newness, Jesus Christ, resurrected from the dead. He then says, I am making, making. And what I love about that word is that it's in the present tense. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm always at work. I'm always creating. I'm always shaping. I'm always making. There's never a time when God is not at work. Some of you are probably asking, is God at work in my life? Without question, whether you see it or not, he is alive. He is active. He is moving. He is making present tense. He is alive in your life. And this should fill us with hope as Christians, inviting us to trust him. The risen Jesus is alive. He is making. And so he says, I am making. And then he says, all things, all things. Now, I did an extensive uh, uh, search on the phrase all things in the Greek language. And I don't want to get too deep on you, but the word all things in Greek means all things. <laughs> Stay with me here, all right? Stay with me. All things in English, in Greek, in Hebrew, in Swahili, it's all things is all things. And I love that because there's nothing in this world that Jesus cannot touch. There's nothing off limits. Right now, he's at work in all things, and this is why we should be hopeful as Christians in the resurrection, even in the midst of tragedy, because we believe there's nothing out of the reach of God. There's no person out of the reach of God. I don't care what you, there's no person out of the reach of God. There's no people group out of the reach of God. There's no sin out of the reach of God. There's no crisis in our world that God cannot reach. And so Jesus says, I am making all things new, resurrected, restored, alive, renewed. Isn't that what you want? You want this life. I don't have to know anything about you to know you want to be alive. You want a sense of newness. You want a sense of being restored, being resurrected, renewed. We all want it. The soul, our souls long for this newness. And Jesus says, there is a newness that is waiting for you, and I will use you and where you're at and who you are. I can make all things new. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not giving up on you. 
I'm not giving up on the world. No matter how bad it gets, God says, I'm, I'm, I'm present to you. No matter the bad decisions we make, God says, I'm not giving up on you. Listen, others may have given up on you. God says, I'll never give up on you. You might have given up on yourself. God says, I'll never give up on you. He is committed to taking the broken pieces of our lives and making us new. A few years ago, I introduced you through a sermon to one of my uncles. Um, I come from a, a large family, as you've heard me say, six uncles, six aunts, 12 tribes of Puerto Rico, all of that there. And one of the cool things about having that many relatives is the unique personalities that you come across. I wanted to introduce some of you for the first time and maybe reintroduce some of you to one of my uncles. His name is Julio. We call him Jujo. Us Puerto Ricans have a nickname for everybody. Gami, Gabo, Gigi, Titi, Tita, Papa, Papi, Pancho. I mean, we're just... You got a name for everybody. When Jujo used to live in New York, every day he would take his little white Pekingese dog, Sugar, for a walk in East New York. But this walk was more than just for exercise. The walk was more than just for Sugar to do her thing. Because he was very handy. He was the family handyman. He would go around the neighborhood and always come back with other people's junk. <laughs> Stuff that they put on the curb that they thought was broken beyond repair. And they put it right there on the curb. And every day, Uncle Jujo would walk with his dog. And his dog, I don't know, sniffed her way to broken furniture. I don't know how it happened, but they'd walk in and he'd see a fan in the street and bring it home and fix the fan. And he had a fan. He'd go on a radio. Somebody threw out a radio that they thought wasn't working anymore. He opened it up and fixed it up. The man had a new radio. A broken chair, he'd take it home, fix it up, give the chair away. He had a thing with walking around the neighborhood looking for stuff that people thought was unfixable, beyond repair, waiting for someone just to pick it up. And as I thought about my uncle Jujo, I thought, what a beautiful picture of God. That God scans our world. God scans our streets. God scans our hearts. God looks for the things that you said is beyond repair. The relationships that you said beyond repair. The brokenness that you said beyond repair. The despair that you said beyond repair. The trauma that you said beyond repair. He looks around our lives and he's searching in this room right now, knowing your innermost thoughts, knowing your, what's in your heart, knowing the things that you have given up on. And God, because he's a God of resurrection, can take the things that people said, you can never fix it, and bring it back to life. For some of you in this room, you said, my marriage is beyond being fixed. And maybe you've put your marriage on the curb, as it were, waiting for the sanitation truck to take it away. You said it's beyond fixable, and maybe you, you want to work it out, but you don't know how you can work it out. Let me tell you, God can make all things new. For some of you, you have a history of trauma and abuse, and you wonder, can I be fixed? Can I be renewed? The good news of Easter is that he is making all things new. 
Some of you, you came in here, you just want a new life. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're tired of the same old, same old, week after week, day after day, month after month, year after year. You want to be invigorated with some kind of life. And the good news of Easter is Jesus Christ is alive. He is making all things new. And this is not just good news for us. This is good news for the world. Because we can very easily be depressed and oppressed by the horrors of the world, by the tragedies that exist, and we fall very quickly into a despair, into a nihilism. We see terrorism and racism and war and poverty and violence and oppression, and we wonder, where is God? Can things be different? But Easter calls us to hope that although he might not make all new things, he will make all things new. And as the great Frederick Beekner has said it, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Never the last thing. I don't care what you've experienced. God's love goes deeper. I don't care what obstacles are before you. God's love is more powerful. Resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. God will have the final word. God will have the final word over our world. God will have the final word over our church. God will have the final word over our lives. Resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. He is making all things new. Why? Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Where do you need newness today? Where in your life do you desperately need God's newness? For some of you in this room, you've been carrying a sense of fear, crippled by anxiety. The resurrected Jesus is here, here to make all things new. For some of you, you've carried a resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness that has crippled you. The resurrected Jesus is here, making all things new. For some of you, you're not even a Christian. Someone invited you, but deep down inside, you're saying, I need something new, and and you can't purchase your way to newness. You can't date your way to newness. You can't get a job that's going to lead you to newness. Only Jesus Christ can give you newness that you desire. And you came on the right day because he is alive, he's well, and he longs to give you a new life. Some of you are filled with despair, wondering, can things be different? We serve a God who's alive, who's well, who's making all things new. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray together. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. Where do you need newness today? Where do you need to be made alive? Jesus Christ is here through the power of his spirit. For some of you, God is calling you to himself right now, the same way 
that he called me, the same way that he called many of us in this room, he's calling you to have a relationship with him. And if you've never said something along the lines like, Lord, forgive me of my sins, I want to enter into a relationship with you. Today's your day. He wants to make you new, a new person, new dreams, new hopes, a new future. You probably received in your bulletin a little card that gives you an opportunity to write your name and check a box, and you can hand it to us. We would love to follow up with you. But Jesus Christ wants to make you new today. And maybe you can just say a prayer like that, Lord, forgive me my sins. Make me new. Become the Lord and Savior of my life. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for gathering us in this place. Thank you for your love, which is better than life. Thank you for making all things new, including us. And Lord, you simply ask us to say yes. To deep down in our hearts say, Lord, make me new. And so, Lord, around this room, I pray that you would do that. For those of us that have never made a decision for Jesus, that we would be raised with you today. For those of us that have, that you would renew us, refresh us, restore us. And so, Lord, we sing to you now words of worship and praise. For you are alive. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, let's all stand and sing together. I want to invite the prayer team to come to my right. Jesus Christ says to all of you in this room today, behold, watch out, look, see, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. What a beautiful message of hope for us in this room. We have our prayer team here. For some of you, you've never been made new by Jesus. You become new by, by the power of Jesus, by saying yes to him, entering into a relationship, saying, Lord, forgive me my sin. Live inside of me. And that's what God uh, has for us in this room today. For some of you, you've never said yes to God. And today's your day to experience a newness that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. And so we'll have our prayer team here. If you want to come forward, we have those cards as well, that if you fill that out, you can drop it to any one of our staff downstairs, and we can start our journey together. And for some of you in this room, maybe you have been made new by Jesus, but you realize you need to be renewed today. You need the life of God to fill you in a fresh way. And wherever you are and wherever you've been, God has life, new life waiting for you. He says, I'm making all things new. That includes you and I. And so as we close, we have our prayer team here. For those of you that are here, uh, this is your first time here. Uh, remember that we have new cupcakes for you as well. And so be sure to stop by and introduce yourself to us. We would love to meet you, especially if this is your first 
um, time, or if this is your first time in a long time, uh, we'd love to see you. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven. If you're new here, we close every service like this. This is a posture of receiving. You cannot give what you have not received. This is our way of saying, Lord, fill me, move me, and whatever you give me, Lord, I will then in turn give to others. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, our brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the beautiful reality that Jesus Christ is alive and he is well. And may you extend that life to those you encounter this week. And so I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen. Grace and peace, everyone. Happy Easter.